Amen. Good evening. Good evening. Hope everyone's doing well tonight. We're going to continue the book of Judges. Book of Judges. It's the red. Red. It's the red. Yeah, there you go. Okay. Judges. So we talked last week. We did the little overview. Tonight is uh, the first uh, few verses of the book of Judges. We're going to get into it. But I want you to just loosely consider this, that the book of Judges is about the sins of a nation and the judgment of the nation and, of course, their repentance. Now, what you're going to find is there is a lot of correlation in the book of Judges to how God deals with his people and specifically his people in groups. Well, who are his New Testament people in groups? Amen. Churches. Churches. And I want you to consider this, that the sins of the people uh, has to start somewhere. So as we're walking through the book of Judges, this first message won't be that. We've still, we still got the influence of Joshua, and uh, things are just really rolling. But as we get into it, it's not like, you know, just suddenly everybody all at once started doing wrong. Do you follow me? It took one person somewhere to slip. Somebody else followed him. And somebody else followed him. Then they slipped a little further. You get where I'm going? I want to ask you, I want to just ask this a question. And we can even look at groups, maybe even in families, okay? But I want you to think, as we, as we walk through the book of Judges, are the troubles in my family or the troubles in my church, could they be because of my problems, my sins? Could my church be being hindered? Could my family be being hindered because of my lack of effort? Amen? I think that's, that's a logical thought process for us to do. But as we walk through the book of Judges, I want you to just kind of get that in your head. Is sometimes, sometimes God just judges a person for themselves. But sometimes our sin applies. The, the, the whole receives punishment for one person's Movement. Has anybody ever anybody ever been in sports and you missed a free throw and sometimes the coach made you do the laps and then sometimes the whole team had to do laps? The whole time the team's going <laughs> and then the next time it's their turn and then you can whine at them. Just consider that there you know, this is uh, our sin affects more than just us. Amen. And our lack of effort affects more than just us. But tonight, we're in, we're in good territory. Okay, listen to this. this um, you might like this title, you might not. I think the kids might get a bang out of it. Here's the title. Victory, Thumbs, and Big Toes. Victory, Thumbs, oh, come on now. Okay, I got a smile out of Caleb. I know he's paying attention, all right? Victory, Thumbs, and Big Toes. So Judges chapter 1, verse 1. Now, after the death of Joshua, it came to pass that the children of Israel asked the Lord. Also, they're starting off in a good place, aren't they? They asked the Lord, saying, Who shall go up for us against the Canaanites first to fight against them? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up. Now, don't start doing all sorts of, you know, oh, see, God talks. No, we don't know how 
the Lord did this, probably by the Urim and Thummim, and we don't even use that anymore. Not even sure entirely what it is, but whatever it was, they sought God's direction. God gave direction, and he started off with Judah. You think there might be uh, maybe a little inclination of the future of the tribe of Judah in this passage? Yeah, the lion of the tribe of Judah. So the Lord, Judah said, Lord said, verse 2, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have delivered the land into his hand. And Judah said unto Simeon, his brother, now if you remember the picture of the, if you can think of the, the, the nation of Israel, so you got, you know, you got the nation of Israel kind of shaped like this, Judah, the land that's given to Judah is down here in the bottom. And Simeon, the, the land promised to Simeon, is right smack in the middle of the, pro, the promised land to Judah. So there's all of Judah, and right in the middle there's Simeon. Okay? So it's not like this would be off the wall for Judah to say, Hey, Simeon, why don't you come on along? I'll be big brother. We can go tackle him, and then when it's your turn, we'll go help you out. Okay? So that's what happened in verse 3. So Simeon went with him. Verse 4, And Judah went up, and the Lord delivered, again, the Lord delivered the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hand, and they slew of them in Bezek 10,000 men. And they found Adonai Bezek, which means the prince of Bezek, in Bezek, and they fought against him and slew the Canaanites and the Perizzites. But Adonai Bezek fled, and they pursued after him and caught him and cut off his thumbs and his great toes. So you see where some of the title comes from. And Adonai Bezek said, Three score and ten kings have their thumbs and their great toes cut off, gathered their meat under my table. As I have done, so God hath requited me. And they brought him to Jerusalem, and there he died. Now the children of Judah had fought against Jerusalem, and had taken it and smitten it with the edge of the sword, and set the city on fire. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, for the day, and we thank you, Lord, for your word. And Lord, we thank you for, uh, Lord, your scripture. We ask that you'd bless in the preaching and the hearing tonight, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. <clears throat> so what is the state of Israel right now? Actually doing fairly well, okay? I mean, fairly well. Now, Joshua's passed away. That's a bad thing. But Joshua separated out the land. He's challenged them. He gathered them all together before he died. And, I mean, just kind of laid down a challenge to them. Listen, serve God. Serve God. I'm going to serve God. My family's going to serve God, whether you all serve God or not. And you all need to serve God. No, yes, we're going to serve God. I mean, there was kind of a, a high spirit at the time. Even though Joshua passed away, his influence hung. As a matter of fact, you remember that, that it even says there, I think, that it last, his influence uh, in the end of Joshua there, just up a couple verses, verse 31 at the last chapter of Joshua. And Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders that overlived Joshua, and which had known all the works of the Lord that he had done for Israel. So this, the influence of Joshua is still prevalent, okay? The memory of all the fighting and the battles, and, it, and it's not like, it's not like, Right now, the Israelites are a bunch of weaklings. Okay, do you remember that they've, they crossed over Jordan with something like 600-some thousand troops? Okay? Yeah, is everybody here? 600,000. It's amazing to me how many people say, they, they read Joshua 6.13. Let's just, I'm going to just 
throw this out. This is another one of those things where why I like the King James. And I know it's been coming up, but I'm just telling you, it, it's, a, it's, an, it's becoming an issue again, so I might mention it more lately. So Joshua chapter, whoops, is it not six? I got the wrong chapter. Must be, let's go back a little bit further. Where's it? Somebody help me out. Where's where they uh, cross over Jordan? Is it three? So I'm looking for where the, the tribes. Well, I'm looking for where the, the two and a half tribes come with them. Of course. Well, I thought that was the right chapter. Okay, here we go. Joshua 4. Joshua 4. All right. Thank you for your patience. (laughs) Did you all see the loading sign on my forehead? Okay. Joshua chapter 4. So look at verse 13. About 40,000 prepared for war passed over before the Lord unto battle to the plains of Jericho. Do you know how many people have looked at this verse and say, see, the whole army of Israel was only 40,000 people? Because they don't understand context. And there's this little thing in the English language that's kind of really important. Okay? It's called punctuation. Punctuation makes a difference between let's drink Jane or let's drink Jane. You hear what I'm saying? Okay. Let's, let's go look at verse 12. And the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh passed over armed before the children of Israel as Moses spake unto them. And what's your Bible have after the word them? A colon. And a colon, I'm going to beat this horse. Okay, a colon is talking, what's following has more directly to do with what was just said. Okay, sometimes it's in a list. This is the list of what was just said. This is more details about what was just said. That's the English language. And the the translators put that colon in there because they understood what was being written down in the original language. And they said, you know what? The two and a half tribes came over. Oh, and here's a little bit more about their crossing. There were 40,000 of them prepared for war. 40,000 of the two and a half tribes. Not 40,000 of all Israel. Okay? It's amazing to me how many really smart people, I mean like really smart people who are Bible critics use this verse as a, as a proof that, yeah, see, they said there's 600,000 over there and here there's really only 40,000. So we're kind of getting the truth. I'm like, how do you miss a colon? You're so smart. You know, a colon, it's right there. So anyways... But, so we're looking, we're looking at around 600,000 fighting men that are available, okay? There's 600,000 fighting men. So if we're just taking the tribe of Judah, which is a big tribe, and Simeon, which is a little tribe, let's just rough, if we just divided it, we'd have to end up with somewhere around 58,000, I think it's around 58,000 uh, people. You know, if all 12 are equal... Isn't it? It's going to be around like what fifty thousand or forty-eight thousand, around forty-eight, forty-eight, forty-nine thousand or so around these twelve. But we know Judah's big, big tribe, and Simeon's little. Let's just say they got sixty-five thousand people. It, th- this is not a small group. This is not a 
65,000 warriors. Okay? This is not a small army by anybody's stretch. How big is the town of Jerome? According to the sign? Yeah, which is funny. I think one over there says 10-8, and there's one up here over there says 12-something. I don't know. But so you're talking at least five times the size of Jerome, all warriors, age 20 and up. So they're all 20-year-old males, probably to around the age of 55. Six, let's just say 65,000. That's, that's a fair number. It's probably more than that. 65,000 soldiers ready to fight. It's not like they're wimps in the area. Okay? Is everybody following me? If an army of 600 some thousand, an army, not people, an army of 600,000 people moved in nearby, would you be nervous? We just had a, you know, an army of 600,000 North Koreans. They landed and now they're over here at, uh, you know, they're on their way from Boise to, to Idaho Falls. Would anybody be nervous? Finding their cars and moving or getting their guns or whatever? Yeah, it'd be, it'd be, listen, you understand that the, the Israelites have already, they've beaten the land. And what I mean, they've knocked out all the major players and they are the dominant force in Canaan. There's nobody more dominant than them. Now it's just cleanup. Joshua did all the major work. He's done all the major work of knocking out all the major things. Now it's just left each tribe just to do a little bit of cleanup in their own area. Okay? So here comes the tribe of Judah, the warriors of the tribe of Judah and the warriors of the tribe of Simeon. Loosely speaking, at, at least 48,000, maybe as much as 60 plus, who knows. So let's just, let's just even cut it. We'll say 50,000 men. They're coming out. Listen, this is not a small group. Which means probably most of the other tribes are also in pretty good military shape right now. The best time to attack is when they're in good military shape. They've got, they've got numbers, they've got experience, they've got soldiers who have been there, done that. They've, they know how to make weapons, they know how to sharpen those weapons. I mean, they know how to use those weapons, there's training involved. This is a good time. Not only that, again, they've got impetus, man. We've been blowing everybody out all over the joint. Let's go. And the, and the nation of Israel does a good thing. Joshua's dead, but that doesn't stop the command to the people of Israel. Listen to that. Moses is gone, and Joshua's gone. There's no big leader, which we're going to find a whole bunch of smaller leaders, local leaders, many times uh, in the book of Judges. And here, and here we've got the people of Israel say, well, we don't have a leader, but that doesn't stop the command to us to drive the people out of the land. We still have a responsibility, leader or no leader, to drive the people out of, out of the, the, the land of Canaan. And so they go to the Lord, like Joshua did. Hey, uh, well, we need to start fighting again. Who should go first? And God answers, uh, Judah needs to go first. And, God, and Judah turns around and says to Simeon, hey, well, you might as well come along. God never, God never rebukes that. He doesn't say anything for or against it. I think the Lord would have, if it was evil, the Lord would have killed it. There would have been like the battle of Ai after Achan sinned. Seemed like a good thing to do. I mean, and it seems like a natural thing to do. You know what, Simeon, why don't you come with us because we're taking over all the same land anyways. Let's just fight together and we'll be a help and a support to each other. So, so their leader passed away. All of Israel does this. They're, 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 they seek God. And then Judah himself, Judah the tribe itself, seeks to maybe just help and be an encouragement to another tribe and also receive help and encouragement from another tribe. And off they go. 
And what do they do? They attack. Now this is what? This is obedience to God's command. Is it not? Okay, it's obedience. It's also courage. How is it courage? Because there ain't no more Joshua. <laughs> I'm just telling you. Uh, there, are, there is story after story after story about great armies who have turned and fled when they saw their leader killed. I'm just telling you, you go, read, you go read military history. In every war that we've ever had, one, one prominent leader on the battlefield gets killed and a large section of that, that battle suddenly retreats because there's no leader. Everybody here? Here's Judah without a leader and they're saying, God's our leader, God's going to have victory. That takes some courage. It also takes some faith. There's obedience, courage, and faith here. They're obeying God's command. They're, they're taking courage because there's no more Joshua to go out there and say, ha, let's go get them, boys. We got this. Now it's just like looking at each other and saying, let's go get them. We got this. Nope. <laughs> and there's faith, believing that God will give them the victory. This is good stuff. And, of course, what, do they happen? what happens? They find a fairly strong opponent. That, uh, here in verse 4, this Bezek it must have been quite a battle because 10,000 of the Bezekians, can I say that? The Bezekians? Well, anyways, well, anyways. 10,000 of them died just in the fighting. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty major battle when 10,000 people die. Okay? Hand-to-hand fighting. They kill 10, that doesn't say the army was 10,000. It says at the end of them, they slew of them 10,000. Okay? So they knock out 10,000 of their guys. That They beat them. And they, they capture the leader, they capture Adam Ibizek, and then and they cut off. Now, who, we still know those things. We don't really have God's, like, approving of this or disapproving it. it. The story's just included. And we're like, what's this all about, this thumb and great toe stuff? You know, like, huh? I mean, and doesn't it sound, like, kind of weird? <laughs> That's what we did to Saddam Hussein. We captured him and cut off his thumbs and great toes. Huh? <laughs> what? You know what I'm saying? I mean, it just kind of sounds weird. Cut off his thumbs and great toes. Well, what happens when you cut off an enemy's thumb? Can't hold a sword anymore. What happens when you cut off his toes? Yeah, no more ba- Well, you can stand up, but there's no more balance. No more running in battle and fighting and having, having agility. Being able, to, being able to run and fight. I mean, combat pretty much is, is over. My, I said, I've told you before, my brother-in-law had a big old concrete culvert roll over on his big toe and he lost his, his, one of his big toes. And he had to learn how to walk again. Because I mean, like, you use your big toe for everything. I can't imagine trying to do a jump shot without a big toe. Can you imagine? You're like, how in what world? You've got you to gotta relearn everything. And here's Adam Ibizek. And now this is... This isn't the Bible saying this, okay? This is, this is Adonai, Adonai Bezek saying this. The Bible is quoting Adonai Bezek saying, I've done this to 70 guys. Yeah, right. But he evidently has done it to some, okay? Maybe he's done it to 70, maybe, maybe not. He might be bragging because, you know, guys are never known to say, I caught a fish that was. Anyways. But anyways, his habit was, when he conquered a king, he took their king and he cut off their thumbs and great toes. Same thing. Cut off their thumbs and great toes. And he says, look what he says. 
He says, as I have done, so God, capital G, he recognizes the God hath requited me. God has done to me exactly what I, what I have always done to others. Okay? And, it, and for some reason, they take him back to Jerusalem that they've captured and burned. And maybe that's beginning to set up over there. We don't know. But uh, he ends up dying there in Jerusalem. Now, the interesting, just aside, for those of you who like words, this word died can mean he just died. But it also has a heavy emphasis on execution by a government. So it could be that he, that's where his execution was, or it could be that he just ended up dying there. So we don't know for sure. And it says the children of Judah fought against Jerusalem and taken it, smitten it with the edge of the sword. What's funny is, again, where, where I don't always trust commentators and some people talk about the Bible, they say, yep, Adonai Bezek. The, 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 Judah, the Judean army, Judah, Judean army, they caught him. Um, they, they cut off his thumbs and great toes. And then somehow his own people got him back and took him to Jerusalem, and then laid, I'm like, that's not what that says. <laughs> like, yeah, we got him, and then somehow the other team gets him back. No, I, it's amazing how people try to make stuff fit, because they have already got a preconceived idea about what should be there. And we do that too, by the way. Let the scripture speak for itself. So, you all got the basic story? Everybody got it? So a few, lesson, a few lessons that I want us to take from this. Um, Leaders are wonderful, aren't they? And the influence of a good leader lasts a long time, even after they've passed. And there's influence here, obviously. But can we just say, a group of people who believe in God don't have to have a leader to do the right thing. A leader is how God designed things. Amen? A leader is how God sets things up, there's always authority. But it's not like the people of God in this situation and in most situations don't already know the right thing to do and are still quite capable of doing it. Amen. So while a leader is, a leader is one of the things that God has designed and God has used, um, you don't have to have someone constantly prodding you for you to just go do what you know you're supposed to do anyway. Come on. Hello. Amen. So, now thank the Lord for leaders. Oh, and by the way, if you look at this, Judah became a leader. The whole tribe of Judah became what one man Joshua had did. Why? They looked and said, hey, Simeon, why don't you come along with us? And Simeon went, yeah, I'm not turning that down. We're just a little guy. You better believe I'm going to come in with you. Because we want your help when it's our turn to take over our place. The whole tribe of Judah suddenly became an encouragement and a help and thus a leader to another whole tribe in the nation of Israel. You know, you know what happens uh, when God takes a leader out? You know what? We always stand around looking at each other like, well, I wonder who's going to lead next. And God's going, um, well, kind of looking at you. Me? I, I, I. <laughs> You know, you know what half the time what we can do? Judah had problems, didn't they? Come on, let, let's, let's answer the question here. Judah had problems. They had bad guys in their territory, right? Simeon had the same problem. And Judah looked at Simeon and said, hey, how about we attack our problems together? You know, that really sounds like a good idea. 
What are you talking about? Do you think that there's anybody else in the church that might be having some of the same troubles you are? Hello? I fed some of you guys too much protein yesterday and you ate too many carbs today. Come on, listen. Do you think there's anybody else in this place suffering from some of the same troubles you are? Duh. Maybe, maybe instead of us saying, I can beat it, I can beat it, we might turn to someone else and say, hey, I got some issues here. And excuse me for saying so, but it looks like you have the same issues. How about we work together on this? That takes humility, admitting I've got problems. You know what? one of the reasons that most guys never or have a hard time getting off of porn? Because they're not willing to admit to another guy that they have trouble with porn. While every guy knows that almost every guy has trouble with porn. Oh, not me. Oh, yeah? How about a pastor's convention, youth pastor's convention, and they, they do a, an anonymous quiz and 80% of them admit to it. Hello? Well, I don't have trouble with that. Great. Don't get proud about it. You got your problems. I'm just using that as an example. You know why guys don't, don't beat it? It's because they're not willing to talk to another guy and say, I'm having trouble with this. Do you have trouble with this? Can we work on this? Hello? Well, then I'd have to admit that I'm doing something wrong. Well, I'll be shocked. Come on, be real. It's not like people here don't have sin problems. There's a whole bunch of people trying to imagine a halo above their head right now so I can see it. Just get rid of it. There's too many horns popping out. Come on, you all know exactly what I'm saying. Listen, sometimes you know what we need to do is we just have to admit, I got problems, the God says I can have victory and I'm going to go after it. How about we work on this together? Amen. This is good stuff. You don't always have to have a leader to obey God's direction for your life when you already know that direction. Amen. And you can be a leader in the process. Amen. And again, I know this church has been leaderless in the past. Well, what do you do? You do the same thing you would do if you had the leader. What's a church supposed to do? Great commission. Gather and worship the Lord and pray. What, you have to have somebody to tell you to do that? You hear what I'm saying? Is everybody here? Okay, just double checking. Amen. That doesn't mean a leader shouldn't be. And don't be surprised if, you know, Pastor does sneak by and say, how come you don't come to this? How come you don't participate in that? How come you're not, are you doing this? How are you doing this? How's your prayer life? That's nothing wrong with the leader doing that, by the way. So you can be a leader and encourage others. Oh, okay. So we have an enemy, right? Don't just point at him. Yep, there's my problem. That's the problem. Yep, that's the problem. Did Judah win the land by pointing at the enemy? Yep, that's it. (laughs) Y'all here? You have to attack. You have to attack. I'm a a huge, uh, I like golf, and I'm a huge Phil Mickelson fan. And Phil Mickelson, so you don't know golf, that's fine. Just listen a little bit, okay? Phil Mickelson is a Hall of Fame golfer. He's already in the Hall of Fame, okay? He's already there. 
Uh, he has won every major golf event except for one. And matter of fact, he's the only Hall of Famer not to win that one event. And they just, it's in the process, it's finishing up today. It's called the U.S. Open. And every year he comes in, we're all rooting. Maybe this year, maybe this year. Well, this year he comes in and he's embroiled in this great big, I won't even get, for those of you that aren't interested, it's a big political controversy. There's always been one dominant golf entity, and now another one that's got more money is doing some more, and Phil's kind of in between a little bit and getting called on it. But we're all still going, it's lefty's turn. It's lefty's turn. He's going to win the U.S. Open. And he missed the cut after two rounds. And I'm over going, oh, did it again. And I'm telling you, he's literally, he actually holds the record for runner-up in this event. He's got like six, six second-place finishes in this event in the U.S. Open. And so they, they cornered him afterwards and said, so, so what happened? And you know what he said? This is what he said. I wasn't as prepared as I thought I was. He said, you prepare, and then this golf, this particular tournament test you reveals the problem of where your problems are. And he said, and obviously my putting was the issue. Do you know, do you know what Phil Mickelson's going to do next week? He's going to go home and just say, I'm such a lousy putter. He's going to sit on his couch. That guy's a good putter. That guy's a good putter. Right? That's what, Phil, that's what he's going to do? No. He's going to be out next week. Putt, putt, six feet, putt, putt, 12 feet, putt. Oh, missed one, back to three feet, putt, putt. He's going to attack the problem. Oh, that's right, sorry. <laughs> He's a lefty. He's going to attack the problem. Now, don't, don't even begin to sit there as a believer and tell me that you don't know what your problem is. Come on. Or you don't know at least one of the problems in your life. One place where the enemy has got a grasp on you and you don't know what to do with it. Don't, don't tell me you can't pick out one. Because if you're, if you're a human, you got a couple. <laughs> or 40. <laughs> Come on. Is everybody here? So you can stand all day and go, God, i got a problem. There it is. Or you can attack. Well, how do I attack? Everybody keep following me along. How do I attack? Well, the Bible talks a lot about it. I don't know what your particular sin is, but it's amazing how much God talks about taking care of this sin, taking care of this sin. One of the things is admitting you got the sin, but it goes beyond that. Repenting of it. Stop doing it. By the power of the Holy Ghost, fight against it. By the power of the Holy Ghost, do something else by the power of the Holy Ghost, but it has to be you attack. You can't sit there and go, oh, I've got such a big problem. Well, I tried. Mm-hmm. What'd you try? Well, I prayed about it once. Yeah, because battles happen when we do one thing. Swipe. My enemy's still standing. What's going on? Is everybody here? That's, that's how we want all our battles to be with God. That's, well, that's what God promised. We have victory, so I just have to, you know, just kind of, achoo, they all just all fall over. No, this is a battle. Armor's worn for a reason. We have to attack. Listen, we, there are some things we need to look at. That's a problem. I'm going after it, and you get it by the throat, and you start driving rid of it. Now, so pick an enemy and attack it. It don't matter. Just pick one. It's, it's the same old story. It's like playing dodgeball. Anybody ever played dodgeball as a kid? Come on. 
Oh, come on. A bunch of liars. Never played dodgeball as a kid. And you don't pick one person to throw at, guess who you're going to hit? Nobody. You've got to pick one, and you've got to aim at one and hit the one. It's just like out, if you're out there shooting, shooting animals and they're in a big, big herd. You've got to pick one. You don't just shoot amongst them and hope you hit one. Everybody here? Okay, listen. What problem you got? Got it in your head? Attack. So here's the problem. And this, this last big thumbs and big toes thing is just amazing. Listen, what did Adam Ibizek said? He says, you know, I have done this to all of my opponents, my 70 opponents. I have taken away their ability to hold a sword and their ability to fight in combat. Can, can I just tell you something? You can attack your sin, but if you're not attacking your sin, your sin is attacking you. There's no middle ground. And you know what it's doing? It's, take, it's slowly wanting and doing its best to take away your ability to hold a sword and fight with it and to have any kind of balance on your feet and a foundation. If, if, if your sin can keep you away from this, this is the sword of the Spirit. Well, I just can't seem to beat it. Oh, have you been in the Bible about it? Here's where the answers come from for your sin. Here. Well, yeah, but you're supposed to tell me that. Well, what if, what if in the passage we don't cover that till two years from now? Or next, or 14 Sundays from now, and you need help now. You don't have a Bible? Come on! You can't study? You can't pray? There are some things you don't have to have a leader for. If you've got sin in your life, you already know as a believer, you're supposed to get rid of it, and God's promised that you can be an overcomer, hasn't he? Come on! God's promised to give you grace and help and strength to attack all these things and beat it. And you're waiting on some special service to give you an emotional high that you can feel like, okay, now I'm going to beat it because you need an emotional high to obey God. No, do it. Pick up the sword and go do it. Well, it's just hard. Well, yes, it's hard. It's a fight. You realize we don't learn to trust in God until we face problems that are bigger than we are and we have to pick up a sword scared to death and say, God, if you don't help me, I'm going to be dead meat. And God's going, now you got the picture. Go into battle. You start swinging and watch me throw rocks. <laughs> From Joshua. Y'all remember that part? Listen. This illustration is in here on purpose. This Adonai Bezek is not in here so we can find out that the Israelites cut off big, big toes and thumbs and that's what the history... No, it's an illustration to show us that, listen, if you're not going after the enemy and taking out his strength, he's taking out yours. He will. His goal is to take out your ability to hold your sword, your ability to, to wield the sword. Amen. You realize you can still be alive and function without, without thumbs and big toes? just makes everything harder to do. There ain't no kind of life you'd want to live. And I'm just telling you, as a believer, fighting against sin, you, have, you can't grip your sword, you don't have a good grip on your sword, it ain't no kind of life to live. You don't have a good foundation, balance. Listen, found, what, what's our foundation? God is. A good connection to God. Don't have a good connection to God, a good balance. It's awful hard to actually win and fight. Amen. Listen.
you can, you can get yourself beat up. But if you've got no grip on Scripture, then you don't have your sword. <clears throat> How in the world are you going to run to preach the gospel? Let me ask you this. If you're not preaching the gospel, could it be that the enemy has taken your big toes? What do you mean by that? You know exactly what I mean by that. The enemy's done something and you're not going. There's no one in the room relieved of the duty of preaching the gospel if you're a believer. We all have to. There's no one relieved of that duty. Amen. Are we allowing the enemy to steal our strength, our combat grip from us? Our ability to handle the sword. Our ability to stand in combat. Our ability to run at the enemy. Amen. You know what? Well, how do I get it fixed? What's, uh, this is going to sound weird, but in such situations like this, you can get your toes and thumbs back. <laughs> you search the scripture. You stick with the scripture. You, you, you get into God's word. You begin a prayer life that's real. You start actually studying scripture. Listen, studying scripture for what's... What's my sin? What does God say about how I can find victory in this thing? What do I do? What do I do? It's there. The answers are here. If you don't believe it, you're not going to go find them. But if you believe it and you believe God's real, you're going to say, I want to do this. I want to fight this. What do I need to do? I'm going to start looking. Ask God for some help. He does help people do this. Amen. How can we, listen, how can we call it? Does the Bible say we are overcomers? So I'm just going to ask you a question. I don't want you to function on feelings like I feel sometimes like an overcomer. I want you to look at the sin that's in your life, the sin that's got a grip on you, and ask yourself, am I an overcomer here? Or is the sin an overcomer? Come on, think it through. Who's the, who's the overcomer here? Well, according to the Bible, you can be, and you are as a believer, you can be an overcomer. You can be. You can be. Come on. This is no time to start going, oh, I don't know. Is God a liar? Look, answer it well. Is God a liar? No. So let's just look at a few passages. Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. This is not about your ability. Listen, I'm going to say this again. This is not about your ability. You don't have to be as wise as the greatest man you've ever known. You have to be, let's see, how did the, how did the Judeans win? The tribe of Judah? Obedience, courage, and faith. We win the same way. So let's, look at, let's just look at Romans chapter 6. Go down to verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of righteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God, as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin, listen, shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. If you're a believer, it has no more power over you. It, listen, it has no more power over you. Now it's up to you to start making choices to not yield to it, but to yield to God himself. Is that a fight? Sometimes every step. (coughs) 
You can do this by the power of God. Thank the Lord. He's put that power in us, right? Okay, a couple, two of you believe that. Okay? You have a, so turn over a couple chapters. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Look down to verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, to the old enemy, to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. Die? I'm not getting victory, am I? But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. So we have an option. We have a choice. We can choose death or life. Being under the bondage of sin or living Listen, I'm not saying you're going to be perfect. Just hear me. I'm not saying you're going to reach perfection. But tackle one and beat it. And then find the next one. We're humans. You're never going to run out. And matter of fact, some of them you're going to have to go back and knock in the head again a few times. Okay? But you can have victory. You can walk through a day and go to bed at night and go, I have victory today. God is truthful. It's honest. I didn't, I didn't have to fight this today. Uh, hear, hear what I'm saying? Okay. Go to 2 Corinthians in chapter 2. Turn right. Go past 1 Corinthians and hit the brakes real fast. 2 Corinthians in chapter 2. Listen. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Look at verse 14. Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ, and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. Now, this passage is specifically talking about the preaching of the gospel, but I, don't, I still find that as a, a pretty good place where most Christians suffer from being beaten. Oh, I just, I don't really know if I can give the gospel. I'm just not all that great, or I'm not a good storyteller. I don't know all the right word. I don't know the proper formula, you know, like because God laid out a specific formula. Did you find that passage? No, I didn't. It said you'd be witnesses. People took the Romans road and made it out, but you could lead someone to the Lord from Isaiah. You could lead someone to the Lord from the book of Hebrews. You can lead someone to the board, to the board, to the Lord from multiple different books in the Bible. Or from just telling what you know. Because we're not the ones winning them. We're just swinging the sword and God's doing the victory part on their end. Listen, God causes us to triumph. You are triumphant. You are triumphant and God wants to give you that. Turn to Hebrews chapter 2. So now you need to step on the gas just a little bit. When you hit the T's, Timothy, Titus, Thessalonians, slow down a little bit. Hebrews chapter 2. Now, this is, this is a good one here. Listen. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's talking about, talking about Jesus a little bit here. So go on to verse 17. Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren. Verse 17, chapter 2, verse 17. To be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. Thank the Lord for that. For in himself, for in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor or help them that are tempted. You see that? The word succor is actually a little bit greater than help. I mean, it's, it, the idea is like arms underneath supporting. It's, it's almost like the idea of supports underneath. That Christ 
knows who we are. He has been a human. He has felt, listen, he has felt that initial, he's not responded to it, but the temptation, his body was subject, he's a human, he's subject to the, he was hungry, he had a stomach, okay? He was subject to the temptation, never yielded to it. He knows that, and now he can be a help to those who are in temptation. That's amazing. It's not some God from long ways upstairs telling us how to live. It's a God who's been where we've been. Never sinned, but he's been where we've been. And he can say, you can beat it. I'll help you. I'm telling you what. Anybody ever done a job? Like you decided, I'm going to fix this job on the car myself. Or ladies at home, one appliance you decided to tackle on your own. Halfway through the job, you're going, this was not smart. Parts laying all over, you got no clue. And somebody comes along and said, oh, are you changing such and such? Yeah, have you done this before? Yeah, you want some help? Oh boy, do I want some help. I don't know what to do here and what's that. And they said, the instructions said this, but I ain't never seen that. And that's not in the instructions. Ah, come on. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, hallelujah, we can fix this. Jesus, listen, Jesus, he's been where we've been. And he can help you where you are. Amen. First Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. Turn right a little bit again. Past James, it's the next book. 1 Peter chapter 4. Or as Brother McCracken would say, 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 4. Look at verse 1. For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. You see that? In other words, there's a point in our life where we can say, see you later to this sin and thank the Lord for the will of God. You realize what he's saying is that the Christians can begin to see victory over sin in their life and start seeing the will of God moving in their life much more frequently. And a whole lot less of the sin. Praise the Lord. This is marvelous and wonderful stuff. Because Christ suffered for us, this is something we have. We can have victory in the flesh on this planet. Amen. Not complete. Thank the Lord for heaven. But we can see it. Now, 1 John 3. Keep going right. First John 3. Start right in verse 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. Listen, we all know that, right? (laughs) We don't know what we're going to look like perfect, okay? But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. There's a victory coming. But now look at verse 3. And every man that hath this hope in him, hath this hope in him, inside of us, okay, purifieth himself even as he is pure. Remember how Paul said it? I follow after, if that I may apprehend, that for which also I am apprehended in Christ Jesus. Listen, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Attack! Attack! You don't find victory standing there whining about it. You find victory when you you find the enemy 
There's an enemy at Bezek, Judah said. Hey, Simeon, let's go. Oh, look, there's an enemy over here. Let's go. You find the enemy. Uh, Dakota's, Dakota's best friend is a Cav Scout. He's an Army Cav Scout. His number one job for the Army is to go way out front and find the enemy. That's his job. Go find the enemy. Start first contact and send back. Take a right forward two miles. Why? Because if you're going to fight, you have to know where the enemy is, and then you have to attack. Again, let's go back. How did Judah win? They obeyed the commandment of the Lord, drive out the people. They sought the Lord's, they read the whole first chapter in that part. They sought the Lord's will in it. They obeyed the Lord. They had courage. They picked up their swords and they went after it. And they had faith, believing that God would give them the victory. Amen. How are you going to beat the sin in your life? Well, God is telling you to, to go after it, isn't he? You are supposed to go after your sin. Amen. You're supposed to eradicate it. You're supposed to walk in the spirit, not in the flesh. Jesus, just like, he did, just like he did in the book of Judges and the book of Joshua, Jesus, God himself, is helping us in the fight. But we've got to find the enemy, go forward and obey, go after the sin, have courage, believing that, listen, I don't feel like I can beat it. You know what? Courage is not the knowledge that I'm the best. You know that, right? Courage is being scared to death and going to fight anyways. Is everybody here? That's what courage is. Courage is feeling like, I can't beat this, but I'm going to pick up sword anyways and go do it. And then having faith. Faith in who? Faith in God. Because you're not going to beat it. But you do have to pick up the sword to go after it. And then you have faith in God going, okay, Lord, <laughs> here we go. Listen, amen. Without God, it's impossible. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Amen. You know what faith is? Faith is you going forward trusting that God is working through you and in you and for you, doing things. It's not sitting back in the corner waiting for God to go out there and do all the fighting. No, no. Listen, you know what Christians need? Christians need to realize that we already, already are victorious. God's already on our side. But if we're not attacking and we're not fighting, whether it be our sin or whether it be the preaching of the gospel, or whether it be uh, the direction of our family, the direction of our church, the direction of our whatever it might be that we're a part of, the direction of my own life. Listen, if we're not attacking, then the enemy is attacking. And he's seeking out to take away our strength. He wants us not to run into battle, but be scared. No big toes. He wants us not to have a good grip on the sword. He'd rather have us a good grip on his, his idea of philosophy and all that. Amen. What's that verse say again? Go find it. Look it up. We got the best tools in the world available to us right now on searching and studying scripture. Amazing. I'm, for heaven's sakes, in my lifetime, it, it, went from, it went from this. In my lifetime, Studying the Bible, I got, I got my Bible here, I got my Strong's Concordance there, I've got a few other books over there, I've got some commentaries over here, and it went like this, look at that, and look at that, and that word means that, okay, write that, that word means that, write that. In my lifetime now, I can sit back there on my computer and I can go, look that up, oh, copy, paste, copy, paste, copy, paste, oh, I wonder what the Bible says about this, copy, paste, copy, paste. What if there's any good articles on this particular thing? Oh, wow, there's about... 
1.2 million of them, 0.000025 seconds. Oh, there's, there's a good one. Oh, I know that person. Oh, that's good. I'm going to write that down. You hear what I'm saying? We got the best tools available to become, to find out everything you need to as a Christian right now. And we have a group of Christians who are the most apathetic that we've had in all of our in centuries of time, it seems like. I'm sure we're not any different than others, but that's what it feels like. Amen. Listen. Listen. If you're not attacking your sin, if you're not attacking the preaching of the gospel, then the devil is attacking you and sapping you of all your strength. And you know what? It's time we gave the devil a black eye and sapped his strength. Oh, he can't do that. What? Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world isn't true anymore? Hello? Well, the devil's powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why God kicked him out of heaven, because the devil is so powerful. Well, he is powerful, yeah, but he's not that powerful. We serve the greater good, the greater God. Amen. Your sin, your sin is not stronger than God. And when you put your faith in him and obey him and get some courage and go after it, you've got the victor on your side. Amen. So a little story about victory, thumbs, and big toes. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? What are you going to go home tonight and look at? This, this thing in my heart, this is the passage that I, I'm sorry, this is the sin, Lord, this is the sin right here. Can, can we start working on this one? Okay, well, and start learning the sword. Start, start learning the sword. Start studying the sword. Amen. Amen. That's really not that complicated. It really isn't. Obedience, courage, and faith. Amen. Father.